0: you can see, we've got a, um, a couple of props here. Behind me, you'll see that we're going to be talking about the cross, which um, I think we can leave lit up the whole time because I might be going back and forward because it's important for us to remember the cross. Today, we're going to be talking about the victory that we have in the cross, and, and I've just noticed that um, I broke it. There's a big crack in there, so we might need to get a new one at some stage. So, yes? <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so hopefully it doesn't fall over during the service. If it does, you know what? God's power is able to do more than we could ever imagine. But we're going to be talking a lot about the cross today because there's victory in the cross. The victory, every victory that we need to live a fruitful and engaged existence with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it happened at this point in history. All right? So I'm going to preach today, but I'm also going to teach, but I'm going to use my preachery voice to teach. Uh, for those of you who have been in our grow sessions, you'll know that I slip into my preachery voice from time to time. So today, get ready. If you're at home and you're sitting in your lounge room, you will need a piece of paper and you will need a pen and Tate will need to start the clock again or Levi, um, because I'm going to start right now and we're getting into the word of God. But before we go any further, we need to understand who God is if we want to understand what happened at this point. If we're going to understand what happened at the cross, we need to understand who God is. God is all-powerful, all-omniscient, all-knowledge. He is everything all at once. He is God creator over all. He is all-powerful. And He is God the Father. He is God the Son and He is God the Holy Spirit. There are three, God, three in one. They're not separate people. They're all the same. So we need to have an understanding of who God is and at the beginning of time, at the beginning of time, we see the very first line in the Bible declares a lot about what God is and a about who He is. It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. You can just stop right there. You don't need to, you don't need to read any more just to know that He was before time. He was before existence. He was before we were even thought of, but He thought of us. In the beginning, God. He was before all things. He is the creator. He says Next it says he created the heavens and the earth. He created humanity. He created us. But when he created humanity, he had us individually in mind. All seven point something billion of us who are on the planet now, he knew us by name at that moment before time existed. He is outside of time and space. This is the God that we serve. It says um, in the Bible, it talks about different names that give God his attributes. We think about Jehovah Rapha, means the Lord who heals us. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord who is our banner. He is above all. He is in all. He is through all. He is God. All right? We have to understand who God is. And some of his attributes are that he is just. Our God is a just God. Our God believes in justice. He doesn't just believe in, oh yeah, whatever it will do. No, he believes in justice and he has called us to live a life that resembles that. He is holy. He says in his Word, be you holy because I am holy. He demands a different standard from us as Christians and as believers to actually live a holy life, knowing that we couldn't do it by ourselves and that our holiness comes from what happened at this cross. What happened at this point? He is holy. So we have to have an understanding of who God is. But then through that, we have to have an understanding of who we are. Who we are. It's only through knowing who God is that we can truly ever understand who we are. We can see and look through all the different things in, in society. And we can go, oh, I'm going to go on a journey just to find myself. You don't need to look very far to find yourself. All you need to do is look at this. All you need to do is look at the cross to find out who you are. It can only be viewed and understood by the lens of who God is. If you try and take that lens off and say, well, outside of that, I'm going to try and find out who I am, all you're going to see is fraudulent. It's not going to be the truth. It's not the truth of who you are unless it's viewed through the lens of who God is. Amen? You are loved. You are created by God. And you are created in His image. Genesis 5. verse 1, it says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, He he made them in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. We are created in the image of God. We are in his likeness. There is no likeness that can go on us that is outside of who God is. Who God is... And who we are in him leads us to understand what Christ has done at the cross. So God created the world, but then sin entered the world through man. The relationship between God and man was broken. And if I wanted to go into all the details, this sermon wouldn't be 30 minutes long. It would be 300 million hours long if we tried to go in and explain everything that God has done for us. But we're so, we're I know you guys want to go to lunch at some stage today. And we've got to be finished because we've got an AGM coming up at a certain time this afternoon. So, But we've got to understand that the relationship in the garden, when man sinned and tried to, this is the problem. Man was deceived by the serpent to become. and said, if you eat this fruit, you will become like God but they already were like God. They were made in the image of God and were deceived to go, hang on, if I disobey. And when they disobeyed, they broke the relationship that we had with God. And a sacrifice was required and a continual sacrifice was required to make man right with God again. And Jesus he became the perfect and permanent sacrifice for our sins, restoring us to God. And what was accomplished on the cross brings us to victory. He defeated the power of hell and death. And we can either do two things. We can live in the victory that came from the cross or we can live in defeat. And God has called us as Christians, as believers, not to live in defeat any longer. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. It says, but thanks Be to God, because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.37 No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We have victory. We have triumph. We have defeated. We, we don't need to actually do it because we live in the victory that Jesus already made on the cross. And did you know that we have victory in three key areas? And I want you to write these down. We have victory over Satan. we got victory over sin. And we have victory over shame. Victory over Satan, victory over sin, and victory over shame. Thank you very much to the wonderful person who gave me some water. That's awesome. All right, let's look at the victory over Satan. If you came to church this morning not prepared and you thought, oh, we're just going to get a nice little calm and Pastor Andrew. No, 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 I'm, I'm preaching at 110 today. We're going, we're going somewhere. Now, I believe God wants to set some people free through what we say. All right. I just stopped my timer. It's all good. To understand the victory we have over Satan, we need to look at history. Satan, first referenced in the Garden, in the book of Genesis, in the the Garden of Eden, he led humanity astray through temptation to be like God. Like we said before, we were already like God. He made us in his image. So you've got this serpent and you've got the woman. And the serpent speaks into the woman's ear and says, Hey, you can eat this fruit, it's okay. And she's like, no, 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 we, we can't. No, 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 it'll be okay. It'll be all right. So she eats the fruit and man comes and says, what have you done? And then she says, no, no, it's okay. You can eat the fruit. And man also is deceived. And they, they broke this thing. And the victory that we have over Satan, we've got to understand that it was prophesied in the book of Genesis chapter 3 when God was kicking them out of the Garden of Eden. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The offspring spoken of here is a reference to Jesus. So we see back in the garden that Satan came and he introduced the sin of pride. The sin of pride. You can become like God. Oh, that sounds good to me. I can become like God. It just marvels me to think, Going, hang on, we were already like that and we threw something away. But a sin of pride through temptation that led to man being separated from God. Then, 2,000 years later, we see the culmination of this prophecy. In the book of John, chapter 19 and verse 30, it says, When he had had a drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What was finished in that moment? What was finished? When Jesus died, what was done, what was completed, what was finished? For me, the way I read this is that Jesus was signaling that his death, the sacrifice was the key moment in victory over Satan. His death marked the restoration. You see, in the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was made, when the blood was shed, that was the moment the blood covered the sin and made us right with God again. But Jesus is saying this moment, the death, it is finished. He was the propitiation for our sins. He was the act that made us right again with God, that that caused us to be in a right relation. The redemptive act that Jesus did on the cross brought us back to him and justified us in the eyes of God. It happened in that instant. We often talk about the victory that happened at the cross when Christ Rose again, but the victory over Satan and death happened when Jesus' blood was shed and he said, It is finished. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We look at the victory of the cross being the resurrection, but it was found in his death. His death set us free from being slaves to sin. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We're no longer subject to the rules of darkness. But we're now subject to the kingdom of light and the power of God's love. It starts with us. We've got victory over Satan because we've also now got victory over sin. We have victory over sin. You know what? We all struggle with sin. Right? We struggle with sin. Why? Because we're not perfect. We're not perfect like Jesus was. Jesus is the only person in history where it says that he who was without sin, it was impossible for him to sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. When we look at the, the Old Testament, the sacrifice that made us right with God had to be a lamb without blemish. And we've got some sheep farmers in our service today who know that you know those lambs have spots. They have blemishes. It's not always perfect. But I mean, they had to be a perfect lamb to be the sacrifice. And there was actually really ever only one perfect sacrifice for our sins. And it was Jesus when he sacrificed his life on the cross. We have temptations. We have things that we desire. As believers, even, even after I don't know how long I've been saved. I probably gave my life to Jesus when I was about five years old. So that means about 40 years ago. Wow, I just showed my age. But there's probably people in this room who have been and watching online who've been saved even longer than that, but we still are subject to temptation. We still get tempted. We get tempted to to sin with pride. We get tempted to sin with our eyes, with our mouth, by what we say. We get tempted to sin with what we consume. We get tempted to sin by the way that we think about other people. We get tempted all the time, things that we desire. But you know what? We actually don't need to be bound by this way of living and thinking anymore. We don't need to be bound by it because before we were bound by it, but now we are not bound by it. We are not, we're not chained up by sin. Colossians chapter 2, and verse 13 to 15 says, "...when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ." He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed these powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. If you wanted to hear me hear, sing a really old song that's quite embarrassing, I'm not going to do it today, but you needed to be at Grow a couple of weeks ago because I laid it all on the line. And if you, some of you will know the song. But in this passage, the Apostle Paul brings together two different aspects of the saving work of Christ's cross the forgiveness of our sins and the overthrow of the principalities and powers. Now, I want to focus on, on one thing here that's a, that's a key thing that a lot of people would gloss over when they read this because it talks about when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive in Christ. That's awesome. But I want to show you how he did that. I want to show you the importance of this next step. Okay. He illustrates the freeness and the graciousness of God's forgiveness from the ancient custom of cancelling debts. You know this word requirements? or the charge of our legal indebtedness the requirements. you know The word requirements is used in the New King James and other versions, which we had on the screen, say charges. The handwriting of requirements or charges that Paul refers to is a certificate or confession of indebtedness. It is our legal charges. It is our legal charges. It is what is actually accurate. And we've got no way to argue our way out of these legal charges that talk all about our sin. Our sin is covered by this legal charge. There is a document that exists over our lives that says, here is all of the sin that Andrew has done. These are all of the things that he has done wrong. And for me today, I can't even express how long that list is. If you've ever watched those movies where Santa Claus is getting out the big scroll of what everybody wants for Christmas and he opens it up and it rolls and scrolls and scrolls and scrolls. Everyone's seen one of those movies? I'm thinking about this, is that there's Jesus up in heaven and he's got this big long list of all the things that I've got done. It's the legal charges and the devil uses the legal charges and he comes against us and says, these legal charges of all your sin, and all of, your, all of the things that you've done wrong, they're the things that I'm going to use to nail you to the cross. They're the things that I'm going to use to, to actually bring you down. This is the condemnation. This is the things that I'm going to use to hold you down. And within that, he brings these legal charges. He brings these legal charges, the handwriting of requirements. Now, I want to show you one thing, what Jesus does. And he goes, you know what? You're right, Satan. You're right they did sin they did the wrong thing the legal charges are accurate and we've got no argument against them because we are guilty of sin right we've got no argument we can't even explain it we can't even stand there and go ah but 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 someone else made me do it and we will try but it's not up to someone else it's it's on us okay so sin in legal charges are what have been said over us And what I want to do right now is I'm going to do what Jesus did. So I'm going to take this hammer. And this is basically what Jesus did on the cross. I don't want to explain it to you. He took our sin. And he nailed our sin on the cross. He took our sin, he took our shame, he took our iniquity, and he nailed it on the cross. And this legal charge, this document, this is a legal document. He took it, this is our indebtedness, and he nailed it on the cross. So up on the cross here, we have our sin, we have our shame, we have our legal charges, and we've got no argument against it because we are guilty. So Jesus, what he did when he actually went to the cross is he not only paid for our sin right? so I want you to get something here he not only paid for our sin, he not only paid the debt that we had to pay, he not only suffered the consequence of our penalty but he he took that, he bore that upon himself and then you know what he did he said I'm going to take this legal charge no longer exists and he put it in the shredder It's gone forevermore. He took our sin and he cancelled it. See, Jesus isn't into cancelling people. He's into cancelling sin. I want you to come with me because we're going somewhere with this. We need to understand something, that the legal document wasn't just stamped, cancelled. The debt has been paid. It wasn't just stamped clean. It was actually the paper was destroyed. There is no record of it anymore. He's not going back to go, where's the record or where's the scroll that shows me all the things. It's clean. It's clear. It doesn't even exist. He destroyed it. All right. I want you to picture this. and I don't have one. But picture a slate, and the Bible actually talks about it being like a slate has been wiped clean. If you picture a blackboard that is up on here, right? So this was in the past. This is at Calvary. This is at the cross. Jesus took all of our sin, our shame, and he put it in the trash, and he destroyed it. There's no longer any evidence of it anymore. So if you picture up on here a big blackboard, right, and that's containing all of our sin now. So when we still sin... Right, What you've got is this picture. You've got the devil, and he's coming up to the slate. He's going, I'm writing that on there. I'm writing this on here, and I'm writing these things down. And he's trying his best to write stuff on this slate. But then you also have on this side, you've got Jesus, and he's got the duster. He's got the eraser. And as the devil is trying to write condemnation, he's trying to write sin up on our slate, on our board. It is being wiped out automatically because of what Jesus did. 2,000 years ago, he did it for us for now. oh, I'm preaching today. He not only cancelled the debt, but he destroyed the document on which it was recorded. We are forgiven. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Amen. We're called to walk in victory over sin. This means making choices that don't lead us into temptation, setting standards for ourselves to remove the path of sin in our lives, putting place boundaries to protect ourselves. We are called to live in that way, no longer just doing whatever we want to do. Grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It means that doesn't mean that I can live however the heck I want and God will forgive me. What grace means is if I truly understand is that I have no obligation. I now have an obligation to live better now than I did before I was actually forgiven. That's the obligation that we have through grace. Grace doesn't mean, oh, yeah, cool, here, here's salvation, here's forgiveness. Just keep living the way. What did Jesus say every time when he healed someone? He says, go and sin no more. There's a standard. And we've got to live because he's a holy, holy God. We can't use. So does this mean that if I mess up that I'm not going to be forgiven? No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. You will be forgiven. But don't use grace as an excuse to sin. Okay? Grace is not an excuse to sin. Paul had an understanding of this like nobody else, but he still referred to himself as the chief of sinners. If Paul's the chief of sinners, I don't know what that makes me. The chief's chief. Must be. But grace needs to be balanced with truth. Truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. Sin causes us two emotions. And one of them has powerful, powerful confident um, consequences, and I want to touch on this for a few moments. Guilt and shame. And did you know that through the cross and through this act on here, that we now have victory over shame? Yeah. Nelson's Bible Dictionary defines shame as a negative emotion caused by an awareness of wrongdoing, hurt ego, or guilt. We all live with shame, and this is what I want. If you're watching at home right now, If you're actually up at nil, I want you to lean right into the screen because what I want to show you next is going to be something that's powerful for you. And I believe that through this next action, through what we do, what we get practical with right now, that God's going to set people free because we've all been living with shame for too long and we don't need to. He broke the power of it. The feeling of shame causes by an awareness of exposure of one's guilt or a hurt reputation or embarrassment, whether or not this feeling is due to sin. We carry shame for things that we don't need to carry for. Yeah, right. We carry shame for some stuff that other people did to us. Yeah. We carry shame and hurt and loss and grief and pain of things that happened to us and things that we did to others. We carry shame. Shame is caused by being wronged, abused, mistreated, or when one's person's rights are violated. For example, when a child is verbally, physically or sexually abused by an adult, the sense of shame can last for a lifetime. You know, even when the person is completely innocent of any wrongdoing, the sense of shame can have a profound effect. So when the enemy comes to you to condemn you, the voice of shame can be overwhelming, yeah. debilitating, and can stop us from stepping into the call of God or the destiny on our life. Shame is a tool that the enemy uses yeah. to destroy your sense of worth and value. It destroys your dignity. Did you know that Satan is a liar? Satan is a liar who just wants to remind you of all the stuff that you've done wrong. Of all the stuff that people have always done to you. He wants to keep bringing it up. He wants to keep you from living in your victory. (coughs) Because he knows that when you live in your victory, he's got no chance. He's got no chance. When you live in victory, he has got no chance. And he wants to steal, kill and destroy. I want the, the worship team if they can come right now. We're gonna do something practical in a moment. And what I want you to do, and at home, you can do this too. We've got this cross right here. We're in the room. You may not have a cross in your living room. You may not have access to it, but I want you to to, to pictualize this, to visualize something. Alright? I want you to actually we're gonna do something here in this room we're going to do something that's powerful everybody in this room has been given a piece of paper and a pen and this is a private moment and we're not going to be sharing these things with people but what I want you to do right now and if you feel comfortable I want you to write on that piece of paper what causes you shame could be things that you did could be things that were done to you what is the shame that is holding you back What is the thing that is stopping you from stepping into your destiny, the thing that keeps reminding you and bringing condemnation over you? If you're watching online, I want you to go and grab a piece of paper and write that down. Write it down privately. You don't have to share it with anybody else. This is between you and God. And I believe that God wants to set you free right now in this room and online. If you're watching later on, do this as well. Go back, do this. This is a powerful, powerful moment. Write down those things. Write down that shame write down that thing shame one of the primary purposes of shame is to destroy our feeling of adequacy to remind you what was in your past is going to stop you from stepping into your future shame and guilt is a primary weapon of the enemy over your life you know shame keeps you small but shame keeps us small God wants us to live an expansive life and stretch our capacity. Isaiah 54 and verse 2 to 4 says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispose nations, dispossess nations. They'll settle in, settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. God never designed us to live with shame. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore our shame. You might think, oh yes, we get this nice pretty picture of Jesus on the cross. And we think, oh yeah, it was, it was kind of romantic in a way. We see these pictures of Jesus and he's hanging and he's got his head tilted to the side and it's designed to look that way. He's got a, a loincloth covering him and we look at that and go, oh, it's, it's majestic. It's, there's, a, there's a beauty to it and there is. But let me tell you, this picture was all about this. This picture of the cross, Jesus didn't have no loincloth, he was stripped naked Bare for everybody to be able to see everything. There was nothing hidden. This is our Christ and we try to protect this picture. And he was laid bare with shame on the cross. He was beaten and bruised for our iniquities and he was nailed up onto this cross completely naked, full of shame. Our shame. Our shame. So not only did he take our shame, you know what? he was spat on as well. Jesus was spat on. And you know, in Middle Eastern culture, back then and now, one of the biggest ways that you can cause shame upon somebody else is to spit on them. And Jesus was spat on. He was spat on. The crowds that lined the streets as He carried His cross up to the Mount of Golgotha, he, they spat on Him. The soldiers spat on Him. He bore our shame. He was beaten, mocked, falsely accused, and He was laid Bear for us He bore our rejection, our shame, our grief, so that we can enter into his peace. It says in Isaiah 53 and verse three it says, "He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as we hid as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted because He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon Him and by His stripes we are healed. We are healed. If you've got your piece of papers there and you've written things down on that, what I want you to do is I want you to fold your paper in half. We've got a little bit of time and we're going to maybe go a little bit longer this morning. I want to turn back to the Scripture that we read earlier from Colossians. I want to, I want to, I want to read this to you. I want you to understand this. I want, I want you to grasp something that, that the Scripture says this morning, Colossians chapter 2 in the Passion Translation. It says, This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp, but now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. He cancelled out every legal violation we had on record and all and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul, He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything, when... Way once were in Adam was placed on the cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus, He made a public spectacle of the powers and the principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and the power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. I want to explain this a little bit further, but I want us to stand to our feet here in this room. And if you're at home, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to grab that piece of paper. And if you're at home and you don't have access to a cross, or if you don't have access to something like that, I want you to imagine yourself nailing it to the cross. Just on the floor next to my seat, there is a little packet of nails. If you could bring that up here, Rach. I want to ask every person who's in this room, I know we've got masks on and, and we're doing this, but if you feel comfortable right now, your paper is folded, nobody else can see it. I want you to come and grab this hammer from me and a nail and I want you to nail that paper up on the cross and we're going to cancel our shame this morning. Will you do that with me? Will you do that? Come on, just come right now. Just come right now. Just take a piece of, take, take a nail off this, um, this desk, grab the hammer. You guys can line up if you're comfortable to do it. Thank you, Sammy. I wanna explain something else to you while we keep going. Don't, don't have to wait, you don't have to wait. Just keep coming, just keep coming. This is a powerful moment. If you're doing this at home, I want you to imagine yourself nailing this to the cross, nailing this shame, nailing this sin, the things that you did wrong and the things that have been done wrong to you. You know, Things that, uh, that we can't even explain, we can't even excuse, it's hurt, it's grief, it's pain. And I want you to imagine yourself just taking a nail and nailing it up onto the cross. And we're going to actually do something powerful in a moment because we understand the power of this thing. understand the power of this cross. And I want to explain something else to you this morning. And I'm going to keep preaching as people are coming. If you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. But no one's looking at you. No one doesn't matter. This is a personal and private moment. Isaiah 6 verse 1. It says in the book of Isaiah 6 verse 1, it says, In the year that king Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. The train of His robe filled the temple. Now, for those of you who are still watching online and paying attention to me, because everybody else here is starting to line up, I want to speak to you. And I'm going to speak if you're within the sound of my voice. Listen to this. In old ancient times, when a king deposed another king, when a king beat another king or defeated them in battle what was done was that they would actually take a strip off that king's robe they would cut it out of the back of their cloth and they would grab that robe they would grab that cloth and they would tie that cloth onto their old robe their own robe and it formed a part of their train the train of their robe so you can see this picture of King David as he is marching back into the um back into Jerusalem after having defeated all the enemy, all the foes, all the kings. And he's got this thing, it's tied. Oh, here we go. We're going to defeat that king. We're tying this on. We're defeating another king. We're tying this on. We're defeating another king. Tying this on. And you see David marching with the kings deposed behind him, stripped bare, naked, embarrassed, marching into Jerusalem, marching into a sound of victory with palm fronds and trumpets blaring and He has the train behind Him of all of the kings that He has deposed. Let me tell you something. This is exactly the picture of Jesus as He came back from the dead, resurrected. His train now fills the temple. It's not a small thing. It's not a minor thing. His train is filled with the robes and the cutoffs of every single king deposed, every sin, every shame. Every, everything that you've ever done wrong or has been done wrong to you, He has tied it to His robe and He marches around the temple and His train is so big it fills the temple. Oh, sorry, I'm getting excited about this. The train of His robe, He's exalted and the train of His robe fill the temple. The train is full of every sin, shame, guilt that you can imagine. He has victory over it. But you know who else is now? I want to talk to you about this. And one thing that the kings would do when David and all of the kings would bring someone that they actually had victory over, they would actually throw the king that they had defeated down onto the ground and they would put their foot over their neck as a sign that they were defeated foe, that that enemy had been defeated, that enemy had been deposed. So what does this say about back in Genesis? It says, he will bruise your heel but he, you, he will crush your head. And this is just, this is the picture of Jesus at the cross having, having victory. His foot is on the neck of the enemy. It's an embarrassing picture. He has been deposed. We have victory over Satan. We have victory over sin and shame through the victory that He won on the cross. His victory is our victory. So shame has no hold. Romans verse 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And I'll finish with this. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. The case is closed. The debt is paid and we have victory in Jesus. As people are still coming, people are still coming to nail things on the cross. what I want you to do this morning is I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads and maybe you're in a living room or maybe you're in this room, but you know in your heart of hearts, that you have been living with sin and shame that has ruled over you for too long. And today is a day where we say, no more, no more. We're going to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour over our lives today. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray this wherever you're watching from, up at NIL, online, whether you're in a cafe, don't be embarrassed because Jesus wasn't embarrassed to go to the cross naked for you. He is not embarrassed about that. So don't be embarrassed about saying this prayer out loud right now. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask You today to come into my life and give me a brand new start. Remove all of my sin. Remove all of my shame. I want to take it and nail it to the cross and gain victory in what You did 2,000 years ago. And today, I stand before you, forgiven, free, set free. In the name of Jesus, I will follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give a congratulations to everybody who has said that prayer this morning. If you're joining us online, We would love to be able to get a gift to you if you said that prayer for the very first time or maybe you said that prayer again what we want you to do is get in touch with us you can email us info at harvestchurch.org.au we would love to touch base with you and give you this gift it's a gift of a bible it's going to help you on your journey but i want to actually do something special do something extra right now we're probably going to do this after the service but let's have a look can we get a close-up on this this cross can we get a picture up on here Can you see this? I don't know if you can picture this in your living room. I don't know if you can picture this in your, uh, where you are up at Nil. Um, This here contains people's personal private shame. This is the stuff that they would never write down. This is the stuff that we carry on the inside. This is the stuff that hurts too much. This is the stuff that causes us to not sleep at night. This is the stuff that keeps reminding us where the devil keeps coming back to and reminding and whispering in our ear that you're no good, because remember that thing, or oh, remember what somebody did to you. You could never do that, but you know what Jesus did? I'm just going to take one of these. He ripped it and he stuck it in the shredder. That was the cross. He pulled him off. He didn't read it. You know he didn't even care. Jesus is not here going through your personal, private pain. He cancelled. He cancelled it. He tore it up and he shoved it in the shredder. You don't have to live with it anymore. You're free. You're free. Come on. We're going to worship again this morning. You are free. We've got a victory in Jesus. We don't have to live with sin and shame anymore. We don't have to live that way. I want to pray one more prayer of you. I'm going to hand over to the team. The team are going to build in behind me as we pray. Amen. In the name of Jesus. We're going to sing a song called, I'm going to see a victory. Because we've got victory over Satan. We've got victory over sin. and We've got victory over shame. But I'm going to pray a prayer of freedom over everybody. If you've ever experienced shame and maybe you've nailed shame up on the cross or in your personal private way that you've actually done that yourself, destroy that piece of paper because I want to guarantee you something. Jesus doesn't even open it up. He doesn't open it up. He's not reading it. He's not looking at it going, oh gee, they're in trouble. Oh gee, look at that thing. Oh gee, you know what? He says, I already know and I don't care. I'm going to cancel it right now and he puts it in the shredder. So I want to pray over every single person. Why don't you lift your hands to Jesus right now? Father, for every single person who's been bound by shame, where it's had too much power, whether they're watching online, whether there's something that's been, where, you know what, where the devil has come against them with the accusation that says, I'm going to use this to cancel you. Jesus, I declare right now that you have grabbed that sin, that shame, that private thing, and you have cancelled it in the name of Jesus, that we are now set free, that we are now delivered, that we now have victory over everything that we can do in life because Jesus has created a victory for us. He created a pathway for us to be able to stand freedom, to stand unashamed, to stand clear in the name of Jesus. I pray for freedom and release that every chain and every bondage will be broken in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.